0: likely the electrical panel is going to have to be replaced because you need 200 amp service for a legal two unit or two 100 amp panels. Most homes are only going to have a hundred or 125 amp.
1: You're listening to the right club podcast where the focus is all about helping you grow your real estate investment portfolio and live the life you want to live. Come grow with us and join our community at therightclub.com. And now your hosts, Sarah Larby and Alfonso Salemi.
2: Welcome Right Club Nation and hello Alfonso, my wonderful co-host. How are you today?
1: What's going on Sarah? I am doing fantastic. I am like so jacked up. This podcast with Anita is super, super good. Super good. That's how good it is. its is. I'm really excited about a lot of information. Really, really cool stuff. She is just somebody that has gone through it and done it. But uh, yeah, before we get more into the podcast, how have you been? What have you been up to? What are you working on?
2: Well, I guess we're all kind of working on launching online our Write club nation and coast to coast. Everyone's going to be able to tune in to the videos that we're doing. We're setting up like tons of stuff. Like we've spent like hours, I feel like <laughs> on these like six hour meetings, planning everything online to just create this amazing community for everybody that can't come to the Burlington events, but even if they can, they can still have extra content online. So we've, uh, I've been busy doing that as well as our regular podcasts and looking for deals, looking for deals. What about you?
1: Yeah. Super excited about the, the right club online community and just what it was like an idea and kind of seeing it come to life and breathing life into different aspects of it and how we kind of see it and how it's going to serve the community of real estate investors that we've we've kind of worked with and we have around us that have come out to the events, but now it's kind of like across, across the nation as we spread that right club love across the nation. But uh, yeah, when you said hours, I think mean, if you add it up, it's more like days or like weeks potentially on the amount of time that we put in uh, the effort that we, we put into this.
2: Yeah. So we've been doing in the summer. I mean, there hasn't been any pers- events per se in the summer, but it doesn't mean that uh, we aren't working and creating stuff yeah. for our right club nation for you guys to have access and hopefully you you like it and so once we launch online we'd love to hear the feedback in the meantime we'd love to hear the feedback about the podcast if you thought, think that uh, we deserve it please give us a rating and review that'd be amazing if you have a question uh feel free to email us i mean i've started getting some uh, emails to sarah at the right and some uh some great questions, some people that might want to be able to share as well their knowledge and come on the podcast. Cause we're always looking for amazing stories, great guests, you know, and we read them like they're, they're coming to us. And I mean, I might not be able to answer within like a few days, but I get to all of them. I promise I get to all my emails. <laughs>
1: yeah and and that's the cool part is that you know like i think just briefly i've met anita a few times in the right club rooms and the events that we have and hadn't really had a chance to kind of get into an in-depth conversation you just like really quickly meet you know and kind of talk about the high level stuff and then being able to interview her on the podcast and you know kind of going through the situation of what she does like on a day to day basis that's what allows us to share those stories and you know the podcast is just going to be one lane in this like information super highway right It's like the internet but like for like for real real estate investors the people that are going out there and doing it and sharing their experiences that right down to like the details and stick to the detail of this podcast and if you can remember the size of the ductwork that Anita talked about send us an email with that and there'll be a prize okay so if you can remember that uh, and send that to us send definitely we'll get back at you with the prize. Uh, if you remember that, because she's just like a wealth of information that she was sharing with us. And it's so cool. Um, I don't think we should wait any longer. I think we got to get to this podcast.
2: I agree. I agree. Let's do it. Welcome, Anita, to the show. How are you? I'm great. How are you, Sarah? Excellent. Super excited to have you on the show and learn all about your investing strategy and and talk about your success but let's start from the beginning. How did you get started in investing in real estate?
0: Um, It was an interesting beginning. It wasn't something if you had asked me even six years ago that I thought I would be doing right now. It was my husband's idea, it's something we should do, and we looked into it, did a little bit of research and just dove right in. We went on a property tour, bought our first property, Thought we were going to do this great strategy of converting it into a duplex. And as soon as we started, realized the property we had purchased was not the best property for that. So our first purchase for investment purposes, intentional purchase, was we thought we messed up. We were freaked out, realized we needed a variance. We were green. We didn't know what to do. So we decided it was very close to the university and college in Durham in Oshawa. And uh, we said, okay, we'll do a student rental. Well, then, of course, your first renovation, it went way over. Again, it was almost September. How can we do a student rental? What are we going to do? We have our home in Mississauga, this extra property. So I put out a ghost ad just to see. And we actually ended up moving into the property in Oshawa just because we didn't want to carry the two mortgages. We were so terrified of everything and so risk averse at the beginning. So we moved into it and lo and behold, I have less than a month and I've actually got all six bedrooms rented. And my biggest dilemma now is not whether a student rental is going to work for us, but where are we going to live in less than a month? So we purchased our second property really, really quickly because we had to get out really, really quickly. So we ended up with our first being a student rental, which was never. The intention, and honestly, it's it's been our cash cow in our portfolio since then.
2: Amazing! I feel like I have so many questions from that I could go different directions. <laughs> no so when was this? Like, how long ago was it?
0: This was so we're hitting the five-year mark in October.
2: Okay, all right.
0: That one, yeah.
2: That's pretty cool. So you wanted to do a strategy, and you realized that the strategy that you were doing is not going to work out. Started freaking no. out. Moved in. I mean, there, there's like so many things that that happened. And it's like over time, though, it worked out.
0: Yeah, twice we thought we had totally screwed this up. Oh, my God, what are we going to do? We lived in Mississauga to start off with. The investment was in Oshawa. We thought we had done such great research and everything. And we like it was the end of the world to us. It was the worst thing that ever could have happened. And five years later, I'm laughing because it was the best thing that could have happened. Probably.
1: (laughs) And that's, and that's usually how it happens, right? Like you're nervous, you're getting, you're kind of scared to pull that trigger and, and get into that world, right? Did you have any, let's say like advice or people around you that had done it before that you've worked with or kind of encouraged you, or you were intentionally buying this as as your primary property? Like how, who are you talking to about this besides obviously your spouse?
0: Yeah. So Realistically, it's just about having a good team and making good choices. This one, we did work with a really good realtor. It was fantastic. It was it was an issue no one could have foreseen. I mean, it had to do with frontage and how it's measured on a property that's on the edge of a court versus something that's on a straight street. So it was a really silly technicality. We, looking back now, I could have gotten the variance. It's really not that. Hard to do. But we were terrified at the time. But working with a good team and ultimately making moves where you have multiple exit strategies is really the key in my mind because this worked out amazingly well. We have so much equity in that property right now that our biggest dilemma now is the banks don't like student rentals. So refinancing is a little bit of a challenge. But we've come up with a creative solution for that too. So yeah. Just working with a good team, people who always be around people who are doing more than you. Right. Because then you have somebody who you can ask who's probably been there and done that. And then don't be too scared because really, if generally you're making smart choices, you can't screw it up too bad. Cause we really, honestly, we thought we were a disaster. We did. I, I
2: love the, I love the honesty and it's so great to see how you've overcome it and how you grew from that and how you decided to just persevere and continue And of course, looking back at it now, you can say, I've made this mistake. I've made that mistake. And hopefully others can, can hear those things and not make the same mistakes because they can learn from you. Now you did say that looking back at it, you could have asked for a variance. You could have done some different things, which, you know, is, is a great way to, you know, look back and say, okay, this, this is what happened, but had I done it now, this is what I would do. And I think that's Amazing. Now you mentioned the refinancing on student properties and it is harder to refinance. And you said that you had something creative. Can you talk about that?
0: Yeah, we moved back into the property five years later.
2: Ah, And you refinanced it at that point.
0: Exactly. So so we're going to just do a HELOC and u- utilize the Smith Maneuver um, to just leverage that money and, and purchase two other properties this year. So that's the plan with that. It's great. And to be honest, we're relatively affectionate about that property. It was our first one we purchased. And even though it was a student rental, we actually did it really nicely. So we would get great students. So we're really happy there for now. And I'll be honest, it's the first one I bought five years ago. So my mortgage is like $850. So I'm sitting there with very little expenses. So it does make life pretty easy from that perspective. And then I can still leverage the the equity I have in the home. So it's, it's pretty fantastic for us. Our second option was going to be to just leave the property vacant over the summer, take the locks off the doors, stage it, then refinance it as a single family home, and then have it tenanted with students in September, which would have been easy to do. And to have it vacant for three to four months, given that I was looking at about $200,000 in access to cash, a vacancy for a few months was was a small small penalty to pay and it worked out that it was exactly as our mortgage was coming due so there was no no penalty that way either so
1: wow okay, okay. so that's and that's the that's a cool thing right with real estate you have multiple uses like you said to stage it list it re-rent it out sell it rent it just to maybe a, just a normal family yeah. potentially another student rental so did you continue on that path like the, that that student rental path or what is that the main strategy that you currently work on?
0: No. So the the intention that we had gone into the first one with was to to duplex it or make it a legal secondary suite is what it would be here in Oshawa. And uh, that's what we've continued to do from there. So when we purchased that property, we did purchase two other turnkey legal two units. And then we purchased the one we had to move into very suddenly and drastically because we were going to be Soon, which we did convert while we lived in. So, we've actually been comfortable with being uncomfortable for a few years to grow our portfolio. We grew five properties in that first year just by leveraging equity we had in some other investments, some pre built condos, things like that, which I would never, ever, ever do right now, but worked out okay for us. And we leveraged that and purchased five properties in our first year. We did a major rental on the student rental. We finished the basement. We purchased two that were turnkey. And then we did two unit conversions and squeeze in having a kid in that time too. So
2: now do you also work full time on top of everything that you just mentioned that you're doing?
0: That I was then. Yeah. So by trade, I'm a chiropractor. So everyone always asks, why did you spend, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in education and then become a real estate agent but yeah so we did that initially at first we were living in a t- totally different area we were from mississauga we didn't even know oshawa we felt comfortable to move to oshawa because one i was about to go on mat leave so i was going to be home for a little bit anyways and two my husband commuted downtown so whether from the west or the east it would be the same commute for him and two we just didn't want to carry properties because we were terrified at that time about our expenses and all this crazy stuff so we moved out here and and kind of of braved it out here so we would get to know our market and it's probably the best thing we ever did was feed on the ground knowing our current market was really really fantastic and it really let us grow quickly and so we moved property to property quite a lot we would sort of fix up the upper and then move into it and then renovate the lower while we were living in the upper and then we would get the lower tenanted while we were in the upper we'd start to look for tenants as soon as they were to move in we were out and we were moving to our next property literally one of the properties we moved into I would have been eight months pregnant at the time and my mover has who has moved me now I think nine times since since last count his name's Mike I don't even know his last name he was moving us in and I went to paying cash at the end and I said okay Mike I know it's August but November 27th is our next move so I want to book you today for our next move and every time I tell him I'm moving I'm not moving again He, he has a pretty good laugh
1: so this is this is Mike Mike the mover
0: that's exactly what it says in my phone mike mike
1: Mike the mover i love that and that's so cool and you know what like kudos to you like eight months pregnant and you're you're doing this you're moving across like i'm sure hopefully not living lifting too many heavy boxes but kind of pointing that's why you like mike so much maybe
0: (laughs) oh yeah he's strong skinny i'll tell you that like he's a slim guy who's strong as anything but no it's You know what, it was looking back on it, nothing felt stressful or uncomfortable. The reality is when I was eight months pregnant, when we moved in that property, I didn't have kitchen cabinets and I didn't have laundry when we first moved in, but we had to move in because the students moved into our other property. So literally exactly one week before my daughter was born, finally got my kitchen cabinets and my laundry. I was washing dishes in the bathroom sink. And for the first week there, our toilets didn't work properly. So I walked across the street to Tim Hortons to use the bathroom.
1: That's you know one so That's it
0: was and they, who who's gonna judge a pregnant lady coming to use the bathroom four or five times a day. <laughs> good job. But it it worked out okay. It was great. My daughter was very punctual. She came on her due date, so we were we were good there and we had operational laundry and kitchen when she was born. So it's great. We always say that property is that's her property. Her name's Isla, that's Isla's property. That property is going to pay for her education, the first home. She wants to buy, it's going to ensure that she's going to be a homeowner one day. And yeah, that's, that's her special property. It always will be.
1: That's so cool. And I'm right in, in the midst of that process, right? So we've done a whole bunch of rent-owns and I can analyze and look at rent-owns, but now I'm currently moving out of where I want to, where I'm living I in a triplex yeah. and I'm actually looking for a duplex, right? To, to convert that I'm going to live in probably do construction while I'm living there, not pregnant. Yep. That would be really weird. But
0: um, <laughs> we didn't do the work ourselves. We hired people to do okay.
1: the work. All right. So perfect. So for me as a complete rookie that I've never done a duplex conversion that I'm, I'm walking into this project, maybe list out what are the top three things that I should make sure I have my ducks in a row? Like, what would you do?
0: Okay. So when you purchase the property, Every, every municipality is different, what their rules are. So you have to just know whether it's allowable in the property that you're going to purchase. So that comes down to zoning, floodplains, and parking. Those are the big three factors that you really have to look at when you're analyzing a property to begin with. And you have to know your local bylaws to know whether that'll work. Next thing is look at ceiling height. If it's a typical bungalow, you need to look at your ceiling heights in the basement to make sure that you'll have a property. And then you just you, you also want to do an analysis of what your tenant profile is going to be in that area. You're sharing the house with that person. So make sure, obviously it's for yourself, you're probably going to live in a reasonable area, but just know what the tenant profile you're going to look for is, is going to be uh, so that you know what you're getting yourself into.
2: Absolutely. That's great advice. So you mentioned parking, you mentioned zoning and floodplain. So let's just say, I mean, obviously, and you also mentioned that every municipality is different, but let's just take Oshawa where you're purchasing these yep. properties and duplexing them. What exactly yeah. should somebody consider when it comes to those three things?
0: okay so in oshawa we require three parking spots so two can be in tandem for the upper unit and then you need a separate not a separate lane, but you need a separate entrance or area for one car parking for the lower unit, it can't be in tandem. So it would have to be sort of side by for that. And you need 18 foot 10 inches. So you have to make sure you have that because that parking spot usually ends up sort of in front of the house. So oftentimes, there's not enough room from the front of the house to where the boulevard starts. And a lot of people don't realize that where the sidewalk starts, that doesn't mean that's where your property starts. City owns up to a certain portion called the boulevard and then your property line starts. So you really need to know where that property line is so you know if you have room for that third parking spot. Closer to downtown core usually is where you're going to have a problem having that spot because usually they don't have enough room in the front yard for that so that's something you really really need to consider and it has to be able to they have to have their own access so it has to be a double wide driveway or two separate driveways so that they they don't have to sort of jockey to get in and out of the driveway for parking and then zoning in Oshawa technically everywhere there there there's a bylaw that was passed that allows legal two units to be created everywhere every every zoning allows it except for there is a licensed area around the college and university or they don't allow legal two units, which is the biggest danger. That's the scariest thing. If you work with an agent who doesn't know about that, you can end up purchasing something that you'll never, you can go to the committee of adjustments, doesn't matter, you'll never get it legalized because there that's sort of a, a hard no there. Otherwise, other areas, it's all possible to do it. And then the last thing is floodplains. Just for us, we call cloca just to confirm, but there are certain maps you can find online to see where the flood lines are, or the floodplains are. It's important to understand that because you can't create a basement suite if it's on a floodplain, obviously, because it's just a flood risk. Mm-hmm. Those are the main things. Those are things that you, you you can kind of do your homework from home like I, I can look up things and, and figure it out online with a lot of interactive maps and things like that if if it's going to work so yeah
2: that's really interesting so let's let's talk about those maps like what are the websites that somebody would go and look for this information and yeah. like you mentioned around the school like where would you find a map like that
0: city of Oshawa has a map that that just outlines the licensed area and and the point of that area I guess is to Make sure student housing is reasonable and we're not cramming eight students in houses, which there's nothing wrong with that. I did that when I was in university too. Probably most of us did. But uh, you you would go on the City of Oshawa's website and just look for licensed zone and you'd find that there. And then the City of Oshawa has a really great interactive map. A lot of municipalities have them now, but Oshawa's is, is quite, quite good. And you can actually zoom into the property and you can see where the boulevard starts, where your property line is, and they have a measuring tool. Where you can measure from the front of the property to where your property line starts. So it's not perfect, but at least you'll have a pretty good idea if that's if that's going to go. Um, you can change the layers of the map to show floodplains as well. And usually, as due diligence, I'll call Cloca as well, just to to make sure that I've, I've covered my bases and it's not in a floodplain.
2: What's Cloca stand for?
0: Oh goodness, it's Central Lake Ontario, some something or other around those. I couldn't even tell you what exactly it stands for, but it's it's basically sort of a conservation authority that deals with the floodplains.
2: Got it, okay.
1: And actually, I had a question for Sarah. Like, I know in, in Brantford, um, we have a few rent-to-own properties, and because there's, like, the Grand River and stuff like that, like, that's something that you consider as well too, Sarah, when you're looking in Brantford?
2: Yeah, there's specific areas that no matter what, you can't do the basement because it's in a flood zone. So similar, similar to Oshawa, it sounds like.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause yeah, I just had that experience because when they, the, the water was rising in in Brantford. So I, I know we talked about that as well, but so, all right. So now you're, you're building it, Like I'm imagining this basement suite that you're building out. You mentioned the ceiling height egress, you know, other people have talked about like lighting, yeah. um, like fire barriers. So what are the, some of the things involved that you're doing besides like, the like, you know, you have flooring, it doesn't matter what level it's at, but yeah. the things yeah. to make it that, like that legal or that suite that you yeah. have that
0: rating. Yeah. So the things that you you need to do to make it legal is you have, have to have proper egress. So most likely with a basement suite, your entrance is actually sort of on the ground floor and then you walk downstairs to get into your unit. You still have to have an egress that's on the same level. So that means one of your basement windows needs to be an egress window, which is just a window that is a minimum of 3.8 square feet opening. Once you pop the whole thing open, that somebody could leave the building in an emergency. Um, Ideally, not more than four feet from the ground. But oftentimes, I know in our municipality, if you just push a little bench in front of the window, they'll... Say, okay, that's less than four feet to reach the window. And we're pretty good with that. You need to do fire separation. So you need a 45 minute burn time. So what that is usually is a single layer of Rockwool Safe and Sound Insulation and then two layers of 5.8 x rated drywall. But you also need a certain amount of sound barrier. So often what we'll do, because doing the two layers of 5.8 drywall shrinks your ceiling height. We don't like that a whole lot what we'll do is you also have to have sound barriers. So if I do two layers of the roxel and sound and a single layer of the 5-8 drywall, they'll take that as the fire separation and it helps with my noise barrier. Technically you have to have a a noise barrier as well. So we do that through usually the two layers of Roxul safe and sound as well as resilient channel, um, which are just sort of metal channels that run opposite the joists and the drywall hangs off of that. So the vibrations don't transfer the sound the same way. So it's to help your sound barriers. And then as well for fire, you need to have interconnected smoke detectors. So essentially, I mean, it's perfectly logical if There's a fire in the basement, I need the smoke pop upstairs and vice versa. So everyone can get out of the building. And then in your utility room, they're usually making you do an inline smoke detector, which is just it's interconnected with the others. And the intention of it is if there's smoke in one unit, it shuts your furnace off instantly because it's really not fire that kills people. It's usually smoke that kills people. So imagine your furnace stays on and there's a fire in one unit. It's just going to push the smoke into the second unit, and that's the real danger there. So they'll they'll do, they'll put those in so that it cuts the furnace off as soon as smoke detectors go off. Thank those you are- for
2: the detail. That was great. Yeah. So on an average project, and I know that it all changes, but what are the financials of something that you're interested in looking at? Like how much are you putting to convert, and then what yeah. are you looking for in terms of ARV?
0: Yeah, so realistically, it's it's a huge range. It depends how hands on you are with your projects. So I I have investors now. Me, I'm totally hands off. I'm I have my skills. Renovation is not one of them. So while it does cost me more to pay someone to do it, and I'd say a start to finish total gut everything, we're looking at eighty thousand dollars. It's not a cheap uh, ticket, but I have investors who will do it for forty five. There's a big range if you're going to do some work yourself, if you're going to manage a project yourself. Typically, a project manager's doing 10 to 30% on top, right, of your rental cost.
1: And when you said, sorry, when you say 80K, that's like 80K in rental and that's like your spread, 40 to 80K in rental
2: cost, roughly?
0: 45 to 80, I'd say roughly. Yeah, yeah usually. And for, for me, my rentals are usually like there's nothing in the basement It is like everything needs to be done versus I have done projects where I've made a unit legal with $10,000. But that was because it was an illegal unit that previously existed. And I knew how to grandfather it in and do it very inexpensively. As time goes on, the city gets a little tougher and tougher with that I certainly can't do even a non legal to legal conversion for $10,000 anymore before they never used to make you take the ceilings down and get the Fire separation. They'd say you have a declaration that says this has existed for this many years, good to go. Just get your smoke detectors in, upgrade your electrical, you know, get your ESA done, things like that. It was it was pretty easy to do, but now fire especially is really cracking down. We have to tear the entire ceiling down and get that fire separation done properly. So it gets a little bit more costly there.
1: Hey, right club nation. Just wanted to stop the podcast really quickly to introduce you to this week's sponsor, Dylan Suter of Elevation Realty. Dylan and his team have been a longtime supporter of The Right Club and now The Right Club Podcast. Dylan and his team have been personally helping me find a property in the Hamilton area, and I know for a fact he's helped many Right Club Nation members find their investment property. Dylan, take it away. Thank you so much, Alfonso. Proud supporter and sponsor not just The Right Club and Right Club Podcast, also of Properties and everything you guys all do in your end. So thank you so much for having me on here. Myself, I'm an investor and an agent. I have a team of five that work with Keller Williams, all investors, and we service the Hamilton, Halton, and Niagara region, both residential and investment-based properties. Just want to leave the podcast with a quick tip for the month. Tip of the month will be winter months bring opportunity to negotiate better prices and extremely favorable terms. If you want the best negotiator in your corner for investment properties or residential real estate, give us a call at 905-592-4220. You can check us out at all the right club events email us at info at
2: elevation realty.ca check us out online at elevationrealty.ca. and I look forward to speaking with you soon. Back to you Alfonso.
1: All right. And like Dylan said, if you haven't met him or anybody on his team, definitely check out the next right club event. They're there every event. Thank you so much for your support Dylan. Now back to the podcast.
2: Hmm. Okay. That's really interesting. So now let's just say I'm an investor and I want to, your realtor, I want to work with you and, I would like to find something to convert and do exactly that. Mm -hmm. Like what do the numbers look like right now? Like maybe on the last one that you've helped an investor purchase. Yes.
0: So I just helped an investor purchase one, uh, purchase price would be 423 and his is a little different. He'll do the work himself, but if I were to do it and throw 80 into it after it's all said and done, it would probably be worth 575 when it's all said and done. i mean 80 K rental is what I'm going to assume every time. That's kind of what I price out. Yeah
2: okay and time frame on that on that from purchase closing to
0: refi uh there are companies who will do it really quickly and you can have it done in two months yeah if you do it yourself that's usually a whole other can of worms and it's usually six months for most investors who want to try to do it themselves unless they've done it before but yeah as short as two months i'd say permits from permits to finish that's the shortest
1: wow okay so yeah that's a short turnaround and just you know really back right quickly back to the like the reno's like even say on that 80k on this 423 80k yeah. where is like the majority of the budget spent on that 80k is it washrooms kitchens like where Like can you kind of walk me through
0: that Yeah, it's going to be on the skilled trades more than anything else, right? It's going to be I don't have, you know, a kitchen in the basement. So I've got to break up a lot of concrete and put in a lot of plumbing and drains, right? I'm, I'm moving. I've got a laundry room, I've got a kitchen, I've got a bathroom. If those things aren't roughed in, there's a lot of price there. There's electrical and you'll have to upgrade electrical likely in the upper unit, mostly what we're converting here is sort of your 50s, 60s bungalows here in Oshawa. So likely the upstairs, the uh, outlets aren't grounded. So we're going to have to do a little bit of upgrading. It's not crazy expensive, but it adds up. Likely the electrical panel is going to have to be replaced because you need 200 amp service for a legal two unit or to 100 amp panels. Most homes are only going to have 100 or 125 amp. So we're going to have to upgrade that. That's the another 3,000. We're going to put in an egress window. Say that's another $3,000 if I don't have to replace other windows in the basement to begin with. Because traditionally, people will replace the windows on the main story of their home, but they're not updating the windows in the basement unless they're finishing the basement. So an unfinished basement likely has windows that you need to replace. Like picking up properties that say have an oil furnace because nobody else wants them. I'll change that out, get rid of the oil tank, things like that. I like to buy properties that maybe people are scared of for one reason or another, but it's something I would have, like if it has a fuse panel instead of breakers, awesome. I have to upgrade the panel anyways. So if it scares somebody else away, that's great because it was work I was going to always have to do. So that's all fantastic for me. And then after that, it's, yeah, it, it's getting your electrical, your plumbing, your HVAC. Quite often you will have to do a little bit of HVAC reconfiguration because. To get 6'5 minimum egress, so it's not like in the 50s and 60s, they built these basements with these beautiful ceiling height. We're cutting it pretty close to get 6'5 in the areas where you have to pass through to leave the building. So if the, the load-bearing beam is, is right height, that's great. But then there's also ductwork you have to deal with. Ductwork along the wall or in a corner doesn't matter, but if it's something you have to use for egress, you have to pass through to leave the house it has to be a minimum of six foot five. So oftentimes, we have to reconfigure our ducts. So say it's almost a square duct, like an eight by eight, maybe I need to now reconfigure it to what we call a slimline duct, where it's sort of uh, wide but short, right to get that ceiling height back, it can handle the same volume, essentially, but it's more of a rectangular duct versus a square duct. So I get my ceiling height. And those things cost, those end up costing you money.
1: And I just, I just really want, I just want to stop for a second because I'm, I'm listening yes. to you and like, you can read and listen to our podcast and listeners, we love you listening to this podcast, but just listening to Anita, you get that experience by what? By doing it, right? Because that yes. first house is like, I should have used that doctor. Oh, I didn't know that existed. Oh, I met another person. And they tell you that, right? And you gain yes. that experience by actually putting the boots on the ground and doing it. And now you know where your strengths lie, looking for those yeah. Gems, right? With those properties, exactly. and now, and you let those skilled people do their skilled thing, right? And get yes. that done, and work kind of like an orchestra. The guy in the drums doesn't play the trumpet, right? You got to, yeah. you got to keep it, it all
0: exactly. And it sort of keeps everyone honest because I'm not clueless with what I'm doing either. So one of my earlier conversions, you have to have a sprinkler system in the furnace room quite often for for fire prevention, uh, especially before they started doing inline smoke detectors. And I, I said to the plumber, I need two sprinkler heads on copper in a loop. Like, you got it? Sure. I come in. It's on PEX. It's not in a loop. And this isn't what I asked for. I'm not paying for this. Oh, this is fine. I'm the plumber. I know what I'm doing. Did it pass? No, it didn't pass. So he fixed it and I didn't pay for it because at the end of the day, I know what needs to be done and Sure, I'm sure I could be taken for a ride on one or two things here and there that I don't realize are happening. But for the most part, as much as I'm hands off with my renovation, I know what's going on with my renovation always because I, I'm not going to spend money needlessly. I, I'm going to let someone do their work, but I'm going to work with people who know what they're doing, who are skilled at what they're doing, and I want to know what I'm getting as well. And I take it really seriously because at the end of the day, I know some people might be comfortable with the illegal basement suites and things like that. I will never be comfortable with that. I'll never recommend that for my clients. Because if one person is seriously injured or dies in your unit, not only do you have to live with guilt, there will be criminal charges if it's due to inappropriate, you know, fire code and, and, and things like that. So and and we've had stuff happen in Oshawa, you know, there's been a few cases, that's why the city cracks down so hard. There's been some cases of illegal triplexes burning down and no smoke detectors were hooked up and things like that. So I, I've, learn to do my due diligence because these are my investments. I'm protecting them. The last thing I need to do is go to jail and go bankrupt because I want a shortcut on things. And, and those are things you take pretty seriously. So I want to know what's required and make sure that that's what's happening within my properties, but I don't want to overpay.
2: No. Yeah, no, bank. absolutely. It's better to do it right. Yeah. And it's better to be able to sleep at night without having to worry. So that is definitely great advice. Yeah. You, I, want to, I just want to go back because you mentioned, you know, if you, Find something with an oil tank, you love it, I mean the fuses and all these things are after a while they become easier problems to, mm-hmm. to fix. So a couple of things I have two questions. A, is there anything that you will not touch AK foundation, etc, or would you uh,
0: Yeah, uh, water is my biggest nightmare. I think all landlords have had water issues at some point. It doesn't mean I won't touch it. I just want to make sure I've accounted for it in in my spread, right? And I know I've accounted for my renovation. Honestly, our portfolio is nine properties now. I probably anything I buy now will only be conversions, probably. And I think I'll always do some sort of waterproofing pre-reno, anyways, just for the peace of mind. My other properties cash flow, so I can take a smaller cash flow because the other properties will carry it for the peace of mind that they're a little bit nicer as far as I'm not going to have any worries later on. But as far as anything, I won't touch anything with significant stigma. So growth of illegal substances or sort of a suspicious death in the property. Those are things that I will not um, take on just because uh, with a stigma, tenants, especially people, local people, they just talk. And the last thing you need to do is have um, tenants in your property who are asking to leave all the time because they've learned that You know, there was a suspicious death in the property or anything like that. Not to mention, if it's I'm still going traditional financing route, I can still qualify for mortgages. So I don't want a property that I have to go in all cash. I have an opportunity with private money to do that, but that's just not the route that I'm going right now. So a property that's not insurable, if it's got a stigma, things like that, I might not be able to go in and buy through a traditional mortgage. So I'll stay away from those for right now. Foundation work, I haven't taken on anything with anything significant with foundation. I've bought properties without any kind of inspection, so I'm sure there could have been foundational issues that I didn't know about at the time. But yeah, I'm sure I would probably stay away from foundational issues. But anything else, HVAC, electrical, plumbing—not scared of that stuff. We've just developed a good network and a good team that I feel I can handle most of those things.
1: And that's that's so interesting. You mentioned the the that stigma, like like you said, like you know, like like that kind of stuff. Is I don't know, maybe a year or a year ago. I even forget the city now where it was, but basically tenant buyers were out searching for a home. They found the house. We did the inspection. Things looked great on it. We were waiting on the financing and the lender yeah. actually, there was like an alert, the lender like alert. There's like, no, there's a stigma on this property. No, And they couldn't tell us or they wouldn't tell us um, what that was. Did but you Google it? We, we looked at it a bunch of three or four different mortgage brokers. but was like one of them. As soon as one of them said, it's not good. Then like the rest of them did. So we ended up finding another property for the tenant buyers. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Usually run a Google search of most properties because a lot of stigmas you can usually find online. Um, like if there was, maybe there was a fire or suspicious death, things like that. Usually you can find that kind of stuff online.
2: So question about like oil tanks as an example, like, is that something, so if the insurance decides and I, you have more experience than, than I do on this, but you know, a, could they decide not to insure you, which means that you probably wouldn't get the mortgage. And then B, do you ask to have it removed before you close on the property or what's your go around?
0: So usually it won't be a matter of, they won't insure you. If it's certified, it's probably just fine. A home inspection will find out what you need usually for that. Worst case scenario with an oil tank, or even say you have aluminum wiring, that's another one insurance companies really don't like. They're not going to say they won't insure you. They're going to say you have 90 days to rectify the problem. So they'll let you buy the property. You'll get your insurance, but you have to show them that you've done whatever you need to do within those 90 days. So for aluminum, you need to have an ESA inspection done to make sure things are okay. For the oil tank, maybe it needs to be replaced or or something else needs to be done if that's the case. Otherwise, it's, it's pretty easy to handle. The insurance company isn't usually going to walk away, but stigma they'll walk away I have clients who will look at a property and say oh my god this property had terrible damage it's so cheap I want to buy it and, and I'll go and I'll say well it's been sort of torn down to the studs so if it has no kitchen and no bathroom it's not insurable it is not a living space you can't get a mortgage on it you have to buy it cash private money and and they don't realize they don't realize that without a kitchen and a bathroom or like actual living space even if it's rough living space it, it won't be insurable and they won't be able to get their mortgage
2: Absolutely. So great point. Thanks for sharing that. I mean, we get you actually have so much information and knowledge, we could ask <laughs> you questions for the next two hours. And thank you for sharing what you uh, what you shared. It was very nice and, and detailed.
0: No problem.
2: And so the next part of our podcast is our lightning round. Yep. So you know, we're going to ask you a series of four questions, and you're going to give us the first answer that comes to mind. Are you ready? Sure. Hey, Right Club Nation, I just wanted to take a quick moment here is Sarah Larby and I'm here with Laurel Simmons and we have some really exciting news for you and we heard you, we heard your emails and we are going to be bringing you Right Club Nation online, coast to coast, accessible at any time of day and you can be in your pajamas like I am right now and you can access our great content and what is going to be that content, Laurel?
0: Well, we have... Videos, recordings of live events
1: that we've held. We have webinars. We have, we'll have we have our podcast information
2: up there. We'll have uh, forums and chat groups and all kinds of things. You'll even be able to find services and products that you need in your neighborhood, local, for you. Because we know how important it is that you have your local team with you. We're going to be rolling things out very quickly. And as we start,
0: you'll see more and more stuff come along. And we really want you to join and become part of our online community.
2: Absolutely. This is the first. And in my opinion, it was going to be the best Canadian online community of real estate investors and like-minded individuals. So guys, come and grow with us. Join our online community. Register and come and say hi and check out the amazing things.
0: Yeah. And
1: all you have to do is go to the and you'll find us there. It's easy to register.
2: It's free and hop on. We can't wait to see you there. Guys come and grow with us. Okay. So question number one, what is the best advice you've ever received from another investor or at a networking event?
0: Just do it. Just jump in. It's, it's the same advice. I I, I attend the Durham real estate investors uh, group quite a lot. And that's kind of how I got started. And we, there's a bit of an action takers program there. And and that's just it. You can't learn it. Alfonso, we were saying it right. Just feet on the ground. If you don't do it, you'll never learn. You can window shop forever. You can educate yourself forever, but there's no education like doing it. So just get started take action.
1: Absolutely. All right. Number two, lightning round question. What is your favorite real estate investing resource
0: resource oh goodness honestly my greatest resource is my network really the people that i spend time with the people who've done more than i've done i I would say i'm sure you're probably looking for a resource like a a podcast or a book or something like that but honestly i think people are my greatest resource and the network that i developed around me because there's always someone i can ask the question of i i I'm fortunate enough that I've been going to enough sort of meetups and everything else and met enough great people that I find our our network of investors, they're they're pretty forthcoming. People are really good to share. There's not that sort of scarcity attitude of, well, if I give you information, I might not be able to buy the next property because you'll do what I do. Generally, I don't find that happens in this group, this network, because the reality is anyone can invest in real estate, but not everyone does. So I, I, f- I think my network is my best resource.
2: Absolutely. Great point there. Question number three, what is one attribute or the one attribute that has made you most successful?
0: Goodness. I Just the ability to be comfortable being uncomfortable, honestly. Um, and realizing that I'm not really all that uncomfortable. It's really not that tough to do. So I, I think it's just that just kind of work hard and, and keep pushing forward is probably the attribute that's that's allowed us to do the most. To do five properties in a year and, and have a child was, looking back, it was not very hard. It, it, it sounds silly to say that, but it really wasn't that difficult. So I'd say, yeah, just be, being comfortable, being a little bit uncomfortable and knowing that getting me so much further ahead and allowing me to do so much more.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. When you look back with some perspective, when you're in that moment, like you're like, "Oh my god!" and like, kind of maybe a little bit nervous, but then as more time and like, you know, you build those yeah. calluses, you look back and be like, "Oh wow, I was so. I wish I could deal with those type of things today. <laughs> much easier, right?"
0: Exactly. You start from being afraid to take action to being afraid you're going to miss out on the next deal, right? it's yeah. really a switch.
1: Yeah, a continuum. That's right. So yeah, all right. So last question of the lightning round. Is you know it's a long week, the traditional like, oh, I'll take Sundays off, that kind of thing. So on a typical Sunday morning, what are you doing?
0: We run a lot of investor tours on the weekends. So typically on Saturday or Sunday, I'm actually taking a group of investors out either in Durham. If not Durham, we do sort of Port Hope and Coburg. If not there, Peterborough, if not there, Lindsay. So a Saturday or Sunday every weekend is gone to a tour for sure. If not, the second day does try to be a down day and for me that usually means spending time with my family i've got a four-year-old so myself my husband and my four-year-old like to work out like to run actually next weekend we're i don't know if you've ever heard of the oasis zoo run the toronto zoo has a run inside the zoo so it's a tradition we're starting with our family where
1: are they letting the animals
0: out no no, no. Okay. <laughs> that would make everyone run pretty fast oh my god That's hilarious yeah it's great so the three of us are each participating in it so I'll do a 10k my husband will do five and my daughter's gonna run she just turned four she's gonna run 400 meters so we're starting a little family so
1: cool that's amazing I never heard of that wow
0: yeah oh it's great it's so much fun a lot of hills
2: why so why is he running five and you're running 10
0: Uh, because I've always been a runner and my husband's doing it to be awesome and uh run with the with the rest of us but running is definitely not his passion (laughs) i enjoy the running um and yeah and then obviously 400 meters is probably going to be a little much for a four-year-old but we'll see we'll see what she does we want to teach her you know that you can work hard and you can you can achieve anything and right now physically that's one of the ways we can push her a little harder and make her outside of her comfort zone but let her feel that success feeling as well
2: that is awesome so You've provided so much information, but if our Right Club Nation or listeners, they wanted to reach out and know more, how can they reach you and where can they go?
0: Yeah, so email's probably the best. My email is anita at Doors com. Um, I have a website as well. It's just anitabongerslewis.com, uh, so they can look me up there as well and reach out to me through that way, and you'll see my email, phone number, things like that on the website as well
1: awesome What's so much incredible information that you've given us today is there any any last words that you'd like to share with the uh, the right club nation
0: just just do it <laughs> just take action i thought i've messed up so many times and looking back i wouldn't change anything about what we've done so far if anything i wish we could have done more there were times where we thought we totally over leveraged ourselves and we thought we'd be pinching pennies but Honestly, start today, not tomorrow, because prices are just going up, <laughs> opportunities. They're always going to be there, but, but don't wait. I wish I started 10 years earlier than I did.
2: Amazing Ooh. advice. Thank you so much for being on the show. It was a pleasure to have you on. And guys, reach out to Nita. She knows her stuff, So and she can help you. Always, like we say, Absolutely. a realtor that is an investor is the realtor that you want, so thanks, yeah. Anita, for being
0: on the show. No problem. Happy to be here. Thanks, Anita. Great. Thanks, guys.
1: Wow. What an awesome, awesome interview with Anita. Like, my head is, like, blowing up right now. I've made, like – I always say this, but I really, like, I've done, like, so many notes and thinking about this, and it's, I'm right in this space. So it's, what, a, what a great, great podcast. Sarah, what were some of your takeaways that uh, – you like? Because I know you're in this space a lot more than I am.
2: Yeah, no, I think it's just so fascinating. Taking action just really shows that you learn, you really truly learn as you're going along and as you're making the mistakes. But you know, what is really great is that she said she buys something and there's other exit strategies. And I always am a big believer of that, right? If you're going to buy something like she wanted to buy something to duplex and she realized that she can't convert it while she turned it into a student rental, great exit strategy is another option. So have more than one exit strategy. I thought that was a great point and a great tip. But then the other really cool thing that I like is that she doesn't do the work. She just really understands the processes and what people need to do. So she can make sure that people don't try to pull a fast one over her eyes, but she's just very knowledgeable and just has learned her craft really well. And she is a realtor that's an investor. And, you know, that is my biggest thing. If you're going to work with a realtor, find one in an area that you're looking for that's local that is also investing as well.
1: Absolutely. And that they've walked, they've walked those steps. They've done it. She has done it herself. And that's, you know, that's that only way you can get that actual experience, right? Like you can go about it and read it and get that informed and more people, some people really want to get really, really informed. Like I said, as I'm going through this duplex process now, I'm like, okay. How much information do I need now? And I'm ready to go. So I've started making offers and putting that in place, right? I'm like, okay, I'm outside of my comfort zone. Cool. We're gonna be able to figure it out because I know when I look back in a few months, I'm gonna be like, I'm so happy I did that. I'm so glad it worked out, right? Yeah, she's so open with it. I love what she said in the podcast too. Is like, and this is like the buzz, I think that's the right club room, or what what the kind of people that we've captured is they're sharing this information like freely, like talking about the things that they've gone through, the mistakes that they've made. And no, I wasn't perfect. And if I could do it over again, this is what I would do. And if you're going to do it, this is what I would suggest. And you know, everybody's got to walk their own path a little bit differently. But if you can get information and knowledge from as many people as you can, I think that's going to be an asset and a tool that you can use moving forward in your own journey.
2: Absolutely. 100% agree. We are just so lucky. Like I'm, I'm so happy that I get to do these podcasts and interview such incredible guests. And, you know, our like my learning curve has just exponentially grown by being able to ask questions to people that are, you know, so much more knowledgeable and so many of the different types of strategies. You know, I, I know one or two strategies, but I don't know everything about everything and everything about other strategies. And so it's just so fascinating. And, and I just love being able to, to learn and ask you know, experts, all these awesome questions.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah. And, and that's why we're going to continue the live events. The online community is just going to be even more access to that, to getting like actual forums where people can communicate. So like, just think about like, I know this podcast is one way and thank you so much for listening, but like, I bet maybe you had a question in this whole podcast. And definitely if you have the question, reach out to us an easier way, but think about like something that's at your fingertips that you can go and put on that and chat and do that kind of thing really about a certain strategy is showcasing the people that have done such amazing things within our community and they're so open to share it and to, to to learn that so we can all grow together so
2: absolutely on that note guys thank you right club nation thank you for tuning in this week and listening and come grow with us see you next time